Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. All our campuses, glad you're with us. Can we have some order? Order in the church, please. Let's bring it to order. My name's Tim and uh, actually Chief Justice Lucas, and I want to start with an announcement. I am a judger. Any other judgmental Christians with us today? Anybody else? Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you, I judge you for lying, okay? So how's that feel? All right? Today we're going to conclude our message series, Religiously Transmit Diseases, with a message I've titled, Judge Not, because the truth is that is the number one fear of people who don't attend church regularly, that if they step foot inside a church, they're going to run into judgmental Christians who will condemn, who will shun or reject them in some way for their shortcomings. And let's be honest, a judgmental spirit is a very common religiously transmitted disease that kind of grows in the petri dish of religion. And as a Christian, it's very easy to get infected. At some point, every single one of us is tempted to don one of these, a judge's robe, and kind of drop the gavel on people in our own lives. People we love, we judge. People at work, we judge. There's people in your school that you judge. Even those in our own families, who are you most tempted to judge? Now, I'm not really a judge, just if it's your first time, just so we're clear, I just play one on TV, uh, but uh, I'm a pastor, uh, but the truth is this, honestly, even pastors can be judgmental. Uh, it reminds me of a joke I heard about three preachers who went camping. They wanted to get away from their congregations for a weekend, so they go camping by this little lake in this little cabin in the woods, and as they sit around the lake, the first preacher reaches into his cooler, and he pulls out a beer, he's like, you know, everything, he's like, Brothers, please don't judge me. I know I'm always preaching about the evils of alcohol, but man, I love me a cold one. And he, you know, chugs it down. And the second preacher reaches into his pocket, goes, dude, don't worry. I won't judge you if you don't judge me. He pulls out a pack of cigarettes, you know, kind of lights one up. He goes, man, I just love a smoke every once in a while. And then the third preacher looks at the other two and he goes, brothers, my sin is worse of all. And the first goes, is it, is it gambling? And he said, no, 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 no. The second said, is it women? He goes, no, it's worse than that. Brothers, I love to gossip. I'm terrible at keeping secrets. And if you guys will excuse me, I have two phone calls I need to make. Right? Judge not lest ye be judged. At least that's how Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 7. That's our text for today. So you can flip in your phone, open your Bible there. Matthew 7 is where Jesus talks about judgmental believers. And here's what Jesus says. Do not, help me out church, all the words in yellow. Let's say them out loud together. Do not judge or you too will be For in the same way you judge others, uh, you will be And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, quick show of hands. How many of you have heard this verse before, okay? Maybe, maybe you know the King James Version, right? Judge not, you know, lest ye be judged. I like the way the message translates the words of Jesus here. It says, don't pick on people or jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of what? Boomeranging. Now, you know what he's talking about here? What does a boomerang do when you throw it? What happens? It co- yeah, it comes back to you, right? Now, we're not talking about karma here, but understand something. The Bible is full of what I call boomerang principles. In other words, like the Bible says, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. If you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. Give to others and it will be 
given unto you. There are these boomerang principles in God's word where if you do one thing, it has a way of coming back to you. And Jesus says one thing that has the ability to boomerang like nothing else is a judgmental spirit. Now, the word here that Jesus uses for judge is very strong word. It literally means to condemn based on your opinion. Now, let me be very clear about what this means and what it doesn't, okay? Jesus is not talking about you or I making a moral decision, okay, or exercising discernment. We have to do that all the time, right, in life. You have to make judgments between what's right, what's wrong. Hopefully, for instance, you use good judgment when you pick your friends, right? You use discernment in deciding who you're going to date. Or hopefully you use discernment about the guy you're going to let, you know, take your daughter out on a date, right? We let people take care of our kids here at church, but first we do background checks. That's not being judgmental. That's just being wise. Does that make sense? We all have to make these sound moral decisions, who we're going to marry, where we're going to work. We use discernment every day. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. When Jesus says, do not judge or you will be judged, he's talking about a critical attitude, a religious spirit that puts on the self-righteous robe and looks at others and pronounces condemnation on other people. It's this better-than-thou attitude that is turning off an entire generation to the truth of Christianity. I talked at the beginning of this series about this book called Unchristian, what a new generation really thinks about Christianity. And the survey in the book shows that nearly 9 out of 10 young adults, these are between the ages of 16 and 29, millennials, said that the term judgmental accurately describes modern-day Christians. In other words, 90% of millennials, the next generation, perceive modern Christians, you and I, as judgmental. It was one of the big three. The other two are hypocritical and anti-gay. So understand this. When you work in a work tomorrow and you have somebody new on your team and they're in their 20s and they find out you're a believer, they're going to think you're judgmental automatically. You have a neighbor couple who moves in next door and they're in their 20s and they find out you go to church on Sunday, they're going to be like, oh, watch out. She's judgmental. <laughs> Sucks to be judged, doesn't it? <laughs> a young man named Jeff, 25 years old, put it this way. He said, Christians talk about hating sin and loving sinners, but the way they go about things, they might as well call it what it is. They hate the sin and the sinner. Now, I want you to contrast this, because remember, Jesus hanged out with an incredibly questionable bunch of people during his ministry, prostitutes and thieves. He held hands with the outcasts. He touched the lepers, the sick, and the hurting. He embraced the not-so-perfect people of his world so he could show them what God's compassion and his love was like. He didn't actually define people by labels. He didn't say, you, woman of the well, you're an adulterer. He didn't say, you, you're a cheat, you're, a, you're divorced, you're gay. Jesus didn't use labels. Rather, he was quick to love and very slow to judge. My question is, why do we, his followers, so often get it backwards? I want to introduce you to a few people who came to Jesus' church looking for love and acceptance, but instead they found judgment. When I gave my life to the Lord, I was a stripper, and I um, made a decision to completely change my life. I had no idea where to go to church, what to do, how to dress, and one day I was sitting out at a coffee shop, and some girls were walking around, and they were telling everybody about their church. Well, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to tell me where I can go. Maybe they'll be my friends. And instead, um, they took one look at me and the way I was dressed and how I looked and gave me a dirty look and passed me over. Well, I struggled with uh, same-sex attraction all my life. And uh, being a Christian and brought up in a Christian home, Christian school, 
I had difficulties dealing with it and uh, went to my pastor because I knew there was some kind of issue with me and I had some problems. And instead of receiving uh, spiritual guidance, I received, uh, you know, hatred and I was condemned and uh, I was asked to leave the church. There came a point in my marriage where things got really rocky. I made a decision to trust the people at the church and start telling them about what was happening. Um, and I expected them to, to try and understand. I expected them to help to accept us broken like we were, but instead they judged us, they judged me, they blamed me. It was definitely not okay to not be okay. It made me feel rejected. I was totally crushed. To this day, it affects my family. What good did that do anybody? God forgave me, but the church couldn't. I wish you would have treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. We need to be examples and not tell people what they have to do and what they should do, but just show them what we do. Isn't that tragic? I wish they treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. A judgmental spirit is not just toxic to our own heart, it impacts everybody around us, particularly people who are actually searching for the love of Christ. There's a reason nine out of 10 young people see Christians as judgmental, because honestly, guys, we often are. Remember, judgmental means that you condemn something that's wrong in somebody else's life, which ends up making them feel less than, or inferior, or excluded. And most tragically, their potential to ever be a follower of Christ gets snuffed out. Remember, Jesus scandalized others, the Pharisees in particular, by hanging around with the moral mess-ups, the, the failures, and the screw-ups. And then they judge Jesus for it. They're like, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard. Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. See, when our focus is on other people's sin, it is virtually impossible to demonstrate love to them. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, guys, there's this huge difference between condemning people, meaning being judgmental, and helping them become soft-hearted, aware of God's standards, and sensitive to his truth through compassion and love. Now, what's that look like in the real world? Well, in the church, for instance, if, uh, it, it, here's an example of judgmentalism. It'd be very judgmental for any of us, if, if you're divorced, for any married people here to say, I'm looking down on that divorced, you know, mom or dad. That's being judgmental. But taking the time to actually mentor a single mom's son, that's more much likely to introduce Christ's love to that family. Right now in the culture wars, right, there's all this stuff about transgender and all that kind of stuff. It would be very judgmental to look down on a transgender person, but taking the time to actually sit down over coffee and understand gender dysphoria would open up a two-way conversation, potentially, that could build a bridge to Christ. So let me be very clear about this. Of course, Christians are called to hold fast to God's standards and his truth about issues like divorce and homosexuality. But see, in our efforts to tackle the issue, we often injure the person. We forget they're a real face. They are a real soul created by God in his image and loved by him. And rather than loving them as a bearer of God's image, we just kind of sit ourselves up on our high horse and say, I'm the spiritual judge and we're the spiritual jury. And people get repelled by an image of Christ that isn't like him at all. That's one of the reasons I love Jesus. He was a genius. Somehow Jesus had this ability to hold fast to God's truth. He never compromised God's standards and yet extend God's mercy and his, his kindness and his grace and compassion to people who had suffered deep wounds in their life. That's what he's getting at here in Matthew 7. To all those Pharisees who would judge other people for their mess-ups, he said this, why do you guys look at the, what's it say, church? 
speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. So he starts by asking why. Why are you critical? What is it in you that wants to find a fault in him? What causes you to form a negative opinion about somebody else? Jesus is like, what's in you that wants to put on the robe and point out, you know, the flaws, pass a sentence, and announce the verdict to everybody else? And the ugly truth is that a judgmental spirit is often kind of fueled by a self-righteousness. In other words, it's this twisted motivation to make our life look a little bit better by comparing ourselves to somebody who's blowing it big time. Like, well, you know, sure, I may drink a little bit too much from time to time, but hey, at least I'm not like so-and-so who's in rehab. We minimize our own weaknesses while maximizing their flaws, but Jesus says, you guys got it turned around. It's flipped the other way around. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the what? Say it together, the plank in your own eye. He's like, you guys got a case of plank eye. This is your problem, okay? Jesus is like, I can tell you, I can do a diagnosis. Actually, think about it. What, what did Jesus do for a living? He was a carpenter, right? And I imagine him going into his family wood shop. And he like picks up a speck of dust. He's like, you guys look for like the littlest thing to point out to other people. But then for yourself, you are blind to the stuff in your own eye, in your own life. You got plank eye. You got blind spots. This plank eye is a special strain of RTD, okay? It's where you magnify the flaws of others, but minimize your own. Who, me? And Jesus is like, it's crazy. Look at verse 4. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Now understand something. Jesus isn't like comparing sin here. He's like, well, you got a speck, but dude, you got a whole lumber yard up in there, okay? <laughs> he's simply saying, hey, because you haven't dealt with your own stuff, your sin is causing this big blind spot that not only affects you, but it hurts everybody around you. And the truth is this. When we see a flaw in somebody else's life, before looking through a magnifying glass, we need to look in the mirror, <laughs> In other words, when I see something in your life that I want to be critical about it or, or tempts me to label you or to write you off or post something negative about you on Facebook, you know, as soon as you feel that internal urge, there should be this flag that goes up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on inside of me that makes me want to criticize you? Have you ever heard that phrase, if you spot it, you got it? <laughs> Honest moment. I have found in my own life the negative stuff that I see in other people that I tend to get most annoyed about or uh, critical of is often a reflection of something going on inside of my own heart. In fact, I did a little bit of an experiment this week while writing the sermon. I became very convicted, honestly, of how much I have this tendency to judge others every day. So I decided to keep for seven days a judgment journal. Starting this past Monday, for the whole week, I kept track of every time I was tempted to judge other people in my everyday life. And then what I did is I shot a little video on my iPhone. Now, I need to warn you, this is a raw, okay? This is a little unedited. It is not pretty, okay? But it is honest. Take a look at my judgment journal day one. Hey guys, it's day one of my judgment journal and I'm driving to work and I am stuck behind, I hate to say it, a bit of a jerk. Uh, he or she can't tell. I swear they are texting because they keep tapping their brakes. Swear there she goes again. He, I don't know, whatever, sorry. But I am judging you in the green Subaru because they have kids in the backseat, I can tell, and they should know better. Texting while driving, very dangerous, especially as a parent. So I judge you in the green Subaru, terrible driver, horrible. Of course, it, it's also occurring to me that I am shooting a video, of course, while I am driving. So, <laughs> judge not.
crazy, right? If, if you own a green Subaru, you've been judged, all right? I'm just telling you. We do this all the time in everyday life. We accuse others and excuse ourselves. Psychologists actually say it's a phenomenon. They said, absolutely. They said, if, if a driver is out there and you, if you cut somebody off in traffic, we all rationalize. We have a reason. Well, we're late to that meeting. Or I don't do this very often, but, you know, this is extraordinary. And then we see someone else do it. They're crazy. They're a jerk. It literally, guys, it didn't even dawn on me at first, right? Like, I'm condemning that person for texting on their phone. I'm filming a video. <laughs> Talk about a blind spot, right? Where you see it very clearly in others, but you're blind to yourself. I accuse you, but excuse me. And Jesus is like, man, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of what? Your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's the point? To judgmental people, Jesus says, hey, why don't you focus on your own flaws before you bash the rest of us over the head with a two-by-four? Honestly, I was a little embarrassed by how many times during the week I just made these unfounded judgments and assumptions about other people, even when I don't have all the facts. My default, my flesh, is just to judge other people's motives and fill in the blanks. Here's day two of my judgment journal. Hey guys, day two of my judgment journal. I'm standing here at my son's lacrosse practice and I have to keep this quiet, but I am judging his coach. Here's why. They just released the roster for the first three games and my son was not on game one. He's not on game two, he's playing game three. Guess which games the coach's son is playing in? Games one and two. In other words, his son is getting twice the playing time that my son is getting and so therefore I am judging him. Again, I got to keep this down here, right over my shoulder. Um, I don't know, don't know why, but I'm judging him because I'm guessing the coach is playing favorites. So, coach, you done been judged. I did this for seven days. For a whole week, I kept track of my judgments of other people. I am not going to show you the rest because I don't want you to judge me. Okay, honestly, <laughs> I'm just going to put them up on social media. You know, here's here's what you want to know. What I discovered, honestly, on, judging others is fun. <laughs> It actually makes you feel good to put others down. It is crazy. Author John Burke writes this. He says, judging is our favorite pastime, if we're honest, but we're not. <laughs> we're great at judging the world around us by standards we'd highly resent being held to. But judging makes us feel good because it puts us in a better light than others. Can I, can I ask you an honest question? Who in your world are you most tempted to judge? to drop the gavel down. Like, you have very little patience for, don't point to them, okay? Don't point. In your family, in your circle of friends, at work, who's the person you're just like, man, they just, think about it right now. Can we have that honest moment? You know, is it your friend? Because, you know, well, you know, she's, she's great and everything, but man, I judge her a little as a parent because her kids are out of control, you know? They're just nuts. Like, if they did a little bit better, or, you know, well, I, well, you know, I judge him. I mean, he, you know, he takes medication, uh, for his depression, and you know, may, he, too bad his prayer life isn't strong. He just pray his way through that, you know. I, or that, you know, that fa I judge that couple. You know, I saw these; they took vacation, and they're really struggling financially. They can't afford that. They should know. But let's be honest: it is very, very easy to throw stones at other people for things we don't struggle with. So even this week, I was like, I was getting so upset about this that I was like, you know, do you know who I started being judgmental about? Judgmental Christians. I'm like, this is the problem, you know? This is the problem. With the it's embarrassing. I know some of you are like, man, you are a judgmental pastor, you know? Watch out. If you judge me for judging others, you know what happens? I'm going to judge you for judging me for judging other Christians for judging others, all right? That's what happens. There's this merry-go-round of condemnation. 
What is the solution? See, the solution is for this little judge inside of all of us. You have to be willing to do something radical, Jesus says. He says, would you be willing to actually take off, would you put down your high and mighty gavel, take off your robe and actually entrust judgment to the only high and mighty one, and that's God. Who are you? Well, according to the apostle Paul, we ain't the judge. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) That's who I am, which makes me, I'm just a recovering sinner in need of grace, amen? That makes you thankful for Jesus. Because the grace and mercy that God has shown in your own life, it makes you humble. When you realize how patient and kind and tolerant and gracious God has been with your flaws, your flaws, your mess-ups, it gives you this grace and this kindness and patience with others. That's the attitude that the Christian world is supposed to project to outsiders. Because Jesus took our judgment on the cross, we no longer fear judgment. Amen? That's liberating. One of the good news of the gospel is it sets you free from the need to judge other people. Instead, you are set free to let God be the only judge. If you're taking notes, that's the first step in the cure for plank eye. You let God be the judge. James 4.12 says this, there's only one lawgiver and what? Judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, and that's God. In other words, when you judge, you know what you're doing? You're essentially robbing God. You're stealing his job. (laughs) You're saying, oh, give me the robe. I actually have the ability too to be 100% impartial, 100% fair and objective. I can actually weigh a person's motives and know their heart. Really? (laughs) I doubt it. The Bible says only God's judgments are perfect. As humans, our verdicts are always flawed, they're always incomplete, and they're clouded by our biases. For instance, lacrosse coach, you know, who I, you know, I was obviously, you know, judging him. His son's getting more playing time than my son. He's playing favorites, blah, 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 blah. Well, this weekend at one of the games, the, the one parent says, oh, I'm glad our, our, our sons are on the same team. I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, the roster was sorted alphabetically. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm judging the whole week, all right? And we have no information. The number one Christians aren't supposed to judge others is that God is the only impartial judge who can weigh people's motives, and he will one day. So that frees us to focus on our job, which is not judging, but loving others. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, we don't take our place above other people. We take our place alongside them as fellow sinners. We look and we say, you know what? These are the people Jesus loved, and I'm one of them. Are you? Or have you lost touch with grace? That's one of the challenges if you've been a Christian or going to church for a long time. You can lose touch with grace. This idea that God accepts you exactly as you are, that was like intoxicating to you when you first came to Christ. But now you sit here for a while, and after a while you begin to sit and soak, and this humble, grace-soaked faith becomes cold and hard and cynical. And you start making some progress, like you actually begin disciplines. You know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm growing in God, but what about them? You start looking behind and see who's falling behind. And guess what happens to your faith? Christianity, instead of being good news, it becomes all about winning arguments or applying labels to people or telling others what's wrong on Facebook without taking the time to listen and actually empathize with what they're going through. Am I saying that sin doesn't matter? Hardly. The point is Jesus took a completely different approach to sin. Instead of just spotlighting people's failings, he spotlighted this holy God. He said, hey, you guys have heard it said, you know, don't murder. And you're like, I I have never murdered anybody. You know, no homicide policy for me. Jesus is like, I tell you, anybody who's angry with another person and says, you idiot, you've committed murder in the heart. What? 
You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Always been faithful. If you even look at another person lustfully, you might as well have done the deed in your heart. What? With the bar raised that high, who isn't guilty? It doesn't matter if it's a speck or if it's a plank. We are all guilty and in desperate need of God's grace. Amen? Of God's radical mercy and his love. The only difference is some of us are aware of it and some of us are blind to it. That's why we stumble around with a two-by-four trying to whack others into line. And by the way, P.S., have you noticed, like, being judgmental doesn't even work? Like, judging other people is not even effective in changing their behavior at all? You, 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 I know you know this. Have you ever, like, been driving in traffic and, like, like you actually make a mistake? Like, you ac- accidentally cut somebody off, you blow through a stop, and you're like, oh, I didn't even see it. And then a driver comes alongside, starts honking the horn and, like, flips you off, you know, gives you the state bird here in New Jersey. How do, how do you respond? Do you go, thank you for that. It just occurred to me I need to be a more diligent motorist. Thank you very much for that. Of course not. Human judgment never works, especially where there's no relationship. And that's why Christians are explicitly told in Scripture, let God be the judge. That's number one. And the Bible says, number two, don't judge outsiders, people who are outside the family of God, the church. Did you know that? This is going to surprise some of you. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul actually tells Christians, hey, it ain't your job to judge those who are outside the family of God. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those, say the word, outside the church? Are you not to judge those, what? Inside. God will judge those outside. Is that surprising to you? The Bible actually commands Christians, you're not to judge people who are outside the family of God. But it makes sense, right? Think about your own home, right? Do you have family rules in your home? We got family rules in the Lucas home, right? Like in in our home, hey, in our home, we don't say certain words. We don't watch certain shows. We don't let the kids play Call of Duty yet. It's always a constant battle, okay? I got it, right? And you know what happens? You know what my kids say, right? They're like, well, how come Jimmy gets to play that? How come Jimmy gets to watch that? How come they allow they say that in Jimmy's house? And my answer is, that's fine. Jimmy's not in our family. I don't hold other kids accountable to the standards for our family. Same thing with the family of God or those inside the church of Christ. In other words, Paul's like, guys, it's silly for you to expect people outside the family of God to act like believers. Newsflash, have you noticed? People without Christ act like (gasps) non-Christians. And we judge them for it. I, I do this, I do this all the time. Honestly, guys, I go on Facebook, you know, and I see my high school friends, you know, and like, most of them are all still out at their drinking parties, you know, they're shacking up with each other, they're cheating on their taxes, they're selling nutritional supplements, all sorts, all, you know, all sorts of stuff, okay? And I, honestly, I'm tempted to judge them. But then I realize, well, that's not my job. That's God's job to judge. It's my job to what? Love. To actually extend friendship. To build relational trust in the hopes that when the fallout happens, and it will, Maybe they'll notice a difference in my life that Tim actually accepts them as is without being all judgy and critical. And just maybe the Holy Spirit will provide an opportunity to share the difference that Christ has made for me. So you guys, that's so important. You know how people feel loved? People feel loved when they're not labeled. When you actually listen to them. When you take the time to understand them and just offer friendship like with no agenda. There's a guy at my gym who we kind of work out at the same time, and we've had a friendship building over the last about year. He's in his 20s, uh, living with his girlfriend, um, you know, for a couple of years. Very common, people in their 20s. Has no father uh, around, no role model, doesn't really know what the whole healthy family thing looks like. 
And so we see uh, each other, you know, a couple times a week. Bottom line is at first he avoided me because he heard like, hey, that guy's a pastor, you know, he's a preacher, right? So I started working out in my Chief of Sinners t-shirt <laughs> and it opened a little conversation. So uh, he got engaged a couple months ago. He proposed to his girlfriend. Now, I want you to imagine, right, he, you know, hey, he got engaged and everything. Can you imagine if I said, man, that is awesome. It's about time because you've been living in sin for five years, you know? <laughs> if he had even like a flicker of spiritual interest, like, put it right out. And so I said, dude, that is awesome, man. Congratulations. I was like, I bet your mom's happy. He's like, oh, man, she's, she's really, really, really happy. I was like, and you know what? I know your dad's not around, but your father in heaven is thrilled. Dude, that is good for you. You know, I can tell you, this is a huge step to being a man and starting a family God's way. That is awesome. If I judged him, it would have extinguished any potential he has to be connected to Christ. Because right now, my friend, outside the family of God, he needs grace. And hopefully one day he'll open his heart to the truth. You guys, we have to be discerning about things. The Bible says, be wise in the way that you talk to outsiders. Lead with grace first, and then truth is the opportunity presents itself. I think Billy Graham really said it best. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and what's our job to? Love. And that's how lives are transformed. Not through judgment, but through unconditional love called grace. That's, now, that's the out people who are outside the church. But what about those who are inside? Because there's another side of this coin. Our culture is all like, hey, judge not, mind your own business. You hear what he's saying? No, 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 no. There's another side of this coin. Because once you cross the line of faith and you enter the family of God, you say, hey, I'm opening my life to the accountability of God's word. I'm submitting myself to his truth. And you know what? God does have righteous standards for holy living. We are told to judge between right and wrong and actually hold each other accountable. But how do you do that? That's the other side of this verse. Look at Corinthians again. Paul writes, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those where? Inside. Guys, this is so important. The question of the day now is this. So what do you do if you see another Christian, a fellow brother or sister falling into sin? And the Bible is very clear. It says you need to speak the truth in love and restore believers gently. Keyword gently, underline it in your notes. Galatians 6 says this, Paul writes, dear brothers and sisters, so I'm talking to family people in the church, if another what? Believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should, say it together church, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is the law of love. In other words, once you step into the family of God, you became a, a Christ follower, a new creation. We open our lives to accountability with each other. That's what our culture doesn't get. Our culture right now is a DIY morality, do-it-yourself morality, right? If you have any truth claims, people go, hey, don't impose your, impose your opinions on me. Everyone's got to find their own path, you know, MYOB. That's how the do not judge verse is kind of twisted right now because you can't express truth without being labeled intolerant. You're intolerant. But being a Christian means we actually submit our lives to God's word and we notice God's word doesn't say, hey, you know what, where there's sin, you need to sweep it under the rug, okay? Deal with your own stuff, just that speck, you know, just look the other way, you're being judgmental. No, no, no. The Bible is so realistic about this. The Bible is like, okay, here's the deal. Christians are gonna sin too. But the difference is, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and 
humbly, say that again, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Know that it doesn't say you who are godly should clobber them with a two by four. You know, just let them have it. Why? Because the measure you use will be used to measure you. You do not want a two by four boomeranging back in your face when you slip up. Rather, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. In other words, we speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. And I can tell you from my own life, I can look back and I've been so grateful for other leaders in my life who loved me enough to actually say the difficult thing when they noticed some things were off in my life. Remember in our first couple of years of marriage, we didn't have kids at the time. I had a friend named John. He was uh, married a little bit longer than we were. And he said to me, I remember one time we we're like out, outside and mountain biking or something. He says, hey, uh, how's it going, you know, with Colleen? I noticed you guys were kind of, it seemed like there was some tension here. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're kind of fighting about this. Here's this, you know, argument over. He goes, how's that going? I said, well, you know, <laughs> she came around to my way of seeing things, you know. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I noticed that that happens a lot. And I was like, well, it's because I'm usually right. And <laughs> Uh, he goes, no, he goes, dude, just honestly, like, man, like, God's given you the gift of gab. You're able to talk. You kind of do this, like, verbal jujitsu thing. And that's awesome when you're preaching, not so much a win when you're aiming at your wife. And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you on her side? He goes, it's not about taking sides, man. I'm just telling you, if you do that over and over, you will win the battle, but you will lose the war. He goes, if you just always outmaneuver your wife and back her into a corner and you win every argument, man, you are not going to have the kind of intimacy and the kind of, the, the kind of relationship that's going to go the distance. You know what? He was absolutely right. You also know what? I didn't want to hear it at the time. But I'm really glad 18 years later that he said that to me because my marriage is better for that. My whole family is better for that. See, this is the mistake that Christians make. They swing the pendulum. In our efforts to avoid being, I don't want to be judgmental, we stay silent and say nothing. We see a brother or, or sister developing a habit or stumbling into, you know, some sort of sin. You know, they're flirt, they're unmarried, they're flirting on, online, just emotionally, you know, kind of, or they're drinking too much again, or they're being shady at work or in their business, and we swing the pendulum the other way and we say nothing. We think, well, who am I to judge? Wrong interpretation of Scripture. Worse, it's unloving. You think you're being kind by not saying something, and the truth is you're being cowardly. Love tells the truth. It has the honest conversation, but it does it gently and humbly because we realize, hey, we're all susceptible to the same thing. A couple of years ago, as a member of our congregation at one of our campuses, he'd been struggling with pornography for a few years, very common struggle uh, for a lot of men and women, and uh, struggled over the years until he actually had a full-blown affair uh, a couple of years ago. Big mess, tore their, his precious family apart. Wife was understandably outraged, I mean, obviously. Husband was sad, but honestly wasn't fully repentant. He said, well, you know, I did this because she, and instead of shunning him, I remember reaching out and said, hey, can we have lunch? And he was like, why, what for, you know? And we sat down, and we had a few hours, and I was like, dude, what is going on? Where, where is your heart at? You, you seem really, like, your family just exploded. I would think you would be contrite. How can I help? And this is scary, guys, but it takes courage to actually lean in to somebody you see struggling or going off course. And the Holy, you have to have the Holy Spirit guide you because when do you comfort? When do you confront them? But when other Christians mess up or they fail spectacularly, here's the principle. You don't abandon them. You embrace them. By God's grace, that man eventually repented. He walked an incredibly long road back to healing. He went to counseling for several years to work on his issues. 
surrendered his life to the authority of God, and it resulted into the restoration of both the marriage and the family, praise God, because that's the power of God's mercy. Nobody is beyond redemption, amen? So that means this. When a brother or sister in our church gets steamrolled by life, by their own sin or somebody else's sin, don't run from them, rally around them. Embrace them, don't abandon them, encourage them, speak the truth in love, help them get back on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. In this way, obey the law of Christ. You know, maybe you're here today and you've been on the receiving end of, of some pretty hard truth about your life and you felt like, man, they were judging me, you didn't like to hear it because it probably wasn't delivered perfectly, but maybe deep down inside, you know, like, if I'm honest, there's part of that that's true. You just didn't like that they pointed it out. Let me tell you, let me challenge you with this. Don't blow off God's word by saying, who are you to judge? Could you be open to the idea that maybe this person isn't just a pharisaical, intolerant, judgmental Christian? Maybe they just love you. Maybe they've been where you're at and they actually see something that you can't. Could you be open to that idea? And instead of judging them or getting all defensive, guys, let's all open our lives to God's grace and truth, amen? Then we can rest, know we're loving each other well and representing Jesus well to the world, amen? All right, here's what, you, here's what I'm gonna give you, a little surprise today. As we close this series, I wanna leave you with this final challenge, right? Because right now when we step out of this church, nine out of 10 young adults, they see Christians as judgmental, all right? I was thinking about this, I was like, would that be amazing if we could turn that perception around? Like, instead of being known for extreme judgment, people are like, Christians, oh, man, they are like the most radically loving, accepting people in the world. They're brutally honest about their own stuff, but they are super gracious. They'll accept anybody, you know? Preacher or prostitute, you know, gay or straight, Republican, Democrat. They don't label. They just love everybody. That would be a miracle, would it not? It would also be a blessing to our broken world because, guys, people are desperate today for grace and truth. And if we're going to have an effective gospel witness with the next generation, guys, we've got to change the perception. So I had a crazy idea. I was like, what if the turnaround starts here? What if God starts right here with us at Liquid? What if we committed to take off the robe, put down the gavel, pull out the plank, and wear a different label, all right? I figured you have now been through RTD, so you are disinfected, all right? Hopefully your religiously transmitted disease has been disinfected. So we're going to give you a special sticker today to wear on your way out. I'm going to present it to you. Here's what it says. Can you get in on it? It says, now 17% less judgmental, okay? So ushers at all our campuses, come down, pass them out. And we have thousands of these stickers made up this week, all right? We have one for every, every Christian here. And if you're like, hey, yeah, with God's help, I want to be less judgmental, at least 17%, okay? I know you're like, where'd you get 17%? Random number, I figure you got to start somewhere, okay? I thought that'd be, a, that'd be progress, all right? So you can stick it on your shirt now, or maybe you want to save it, take it to work, you know, stick it on your laptop, you know, or on your bumper of your car or something. I'm like, hey, we got three, 4,000 people. You're going to fan out Monday morning all across New Jersey, schools, take trains into the city. I want you to put this sticker where someone else is going to see it. And, you know, maybe it'll start a conversation, all right? I was wearing this downstairs. Some of the Starbucks, they're like, 17% less judgmental. I was like, yeah, we're Christians. We're trying to follow Jesus. She's like, you should double it. I was, you know, <laughs> two stickers, right? All right, all right. Can you imagine the conversation? Hey, oh, this? I, so I go to this church where we follow Jesus. Our big goal as a church is to be 17% less judgmental. Wouldn't that be amazing? Take a picture of it, put it on Facebook or Instagram, have some fun with it. But wherever you wear it, whenever you look at it, let it remind you 
of what Billy Graham said. It's the Holy Spirit's job to what? Convict. God's job to judge. Everyone together, my job to love. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank you so much for being a righteous judge, but also a merciful Savior. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks for gently exposing our blind spots and just showing amazing grace and patience for sinners like me. Father, we now ask for the Holy Spirit just to fill each heart here today in a fresh way. Would you remove the specks and the planks? Help us become this winsome witness so our world will know you're a God of love and mercy, but your mercy triumphs over judgment. So I pray you'll help us this week, God. Help our families, our marriages, with our kids, our coworkers, and others. Help us be less judgmental and embrace others as you see them, made in your image. Let us see their potential in Christ. And God, would you actually give us the discernment to speak the truth in love to one another. Father, give us the words to say, and would you give us the courage to speak them so that our lives and our words would be seasoned with grace and all the glory would go to Jesus Christ. And all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.